0: Is the Evan York podcast?
1: Dr. Darren Martin, you are the founder of the Global Company Culture Association. It's a community, global community of people who are passionate about company culture, making the world of work a better place. You've written multiple best selling books, including A Company of Owners, keynote speaker all over the world to large and small organizations about the importance of creating an exciting and sustainable company culture. So excited to have you on our Business Owners Ed podcast, and thank you for taking the time with us today.
0: I am excited. I'm excited because you're hosting it, and yeah. because it's just a fantastic program that y'all are running. Well, I got to attend a couple of times this year and was blown yeah.
1: away by it. That's great. Well, thanks so much again. So, you know, before I get into really what you're doing now, I'd like to go back a little bit. So take us back to, you know, before you became the king of culture, what was it like for you growing up? How did you grow up? What were you doing before this? So I actually grew up in Bangkok, Thailand. My parents were missionaries, so they brought the whole
0: family over there, three and a half years old. And it was a incredible experience, a unique experience growing up in Southeast Asia during the Vietnam War, I might add. And I was one of those, what we call third culture kids. I went to international school of Bangkok, graduated from there. This was back in 1980. And we had 38 different nationalities at our school. And there was people from all over the world, which was not the norm pretty much anywhere except in an international school. So I feel really fortunate because that did shape my ideas a lot about business, culture, the world, global Mm -hmm. perspective. Wow.
1: And so after that, you know, I know you're, you know, you're a PhD, Dr. Darren Martin. So tell us about, you know, after you had your PhD, what were you doing post-school? Uh, I got my PhD
0: in psychology. And then when I was going from my master's degree to my PhD, I started working in the field doing counseling and various other things. Ultimately started my own company, which came out of there, which I ran for 20 years and had centers kind of around the Metroplex. And during the course of that, I had thousands and thousands of conversations with people, Hmm. many of them difficult, many of them, you know, first time revelations or just basic family struggles. And at some point I uh, went through a divorce and decided, okay, let's just do a full change here. Hmm. So I started looking around and I said, I've been working with C-level execs in a different context, but dysfunctional families are the same as dysfunctional <laughs> company teams or right. dysfunctional <laughs> executive teams. Mm-hmm. And so I went into advising, as I call it. When you say consulting, people think that's a code for out of work. Right. And was able to pick up some really great gigs on the front end and kind of prove prove myself. And the rest is history. Soon, mm-hmm. You know, in a few years, I started writing about it. Because as I say, Evan, when you are in all kinds of companies, you start to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. And they are patterns. And you see the same stuff, you know, occurring over and over again. Right. And so I started writing about it. And that, of course, opened up the speaking mm-hmm. circuit. And now I'm just writing more books, speaking, and then
1: doing consulting work, advising work on the side. I love it. You know, why do you think you have such a passion for company culture specifically? I mean, you come from the family counseling background and marriage counseling. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So All you know, of it. why the desire for company culture in particular?
0: You know, it's a lot like family. If, if you're in a miserable family and your experience where you're spending, you know, a big chunk of your life is either not very satisfying or at worst, just downright abusive, destructive, who wants to live that way? Hmm. People go to work every day and they spend the bulk of their life, many people at work. They spend Mm -hmm. more waking hours at work than they probably do with their significant other, their Mm -hmm. spouse, their family, their kids. And the reality is 85% of people around the globe say they either dislike or hate their job, which means there's a lot of frustration and a lot of people that are going into environments that are not rewarding, that are debilitating, that just suck the life right out of them. And it doesn't have to be that way. It's not that hard. Mm. But yeah, that's, my passion is because of the people that are impacted by not having a great culture
1: Mm. on a regular basis. Right. Well, so my next question, I was going to ask you, you know, give us some statistics on the American workforce. And so 85% of people you're saying actually dislike going to work?
0: Yes, absolutely. Now, if you're talking, and by the way, which completely coincides with the employee engagement rate across the globe. So when Mm -hmm. we talk about, hey, what's your average engagement rate? People who show up at work, they're ready to rock and roll, uh, they're invested, they're passionate about it. And that number is 15%. Do you see some kind of correlation there Mm -hmm. between 85% of people don't like their job, 15% of people uh, actually are engaged because- If you don't like what you're doing you're not going to be engaged you're here doing this because you love it you like doing the podcast you like uh, developing leaders nobody's forcing you to do it but we kind of missed that boat somewhere along the way and by the way one other corollary statistic that's pretty interesting and that completely tracks only 16 percent of executives when asked said their culture is where it needs to be wow so you can see Sixteen percent of the culture is where it needs to be. Fifteen percent engagement. You know, eighty-five percent of people hate their job. It's so blaringly obvious to me yeah. that these things fit together. Right. And if you if you want to improve your company, you got to improve the culture. I mean, that is number one. I saw Mark Cuban speak somewhere recently, and I was fairly close up there to where he was, and we were doing Q and A. And so I, uh, strategically, of course, because I'm all about culture. Right. I said, Mark, you are involved in 150 businesses. You own a a whole bunch just, you know, outright in your experience, how important is culture to the success of a business? And he said, culture is everything. And then he said it again, culture is everything. Wow. And I thought, wow, you know, you've got a multi-billionaire who's, uh, you know, shark tank and touching a lot of different businesses saying this is the main deal. Right. But somehow it gets left to chance or it's that gobbledygook. I had a CEO of a $20 billion oil and gas company that I had like a 10-year running contract with. We had a great relationship. But he thought the term company culture was some fancy word that a consultant made up to sell business. And nothing could be further from the truth. Hmm. It's what really is the DNA Of Of your business. Of your business. And how much discretionary income do people give you? You know, what do they do when you leave the room? Mm. What's their investment level? Mm. In fact, can I give you one more statistic? Of course. Okay. One Harvard study showed, now wrap your brain around this, that companies who get their culture right see a 756% increase to their net profitability over the course of 10 years. Now think about that. That's unbelievable. I mean, you know, sometimes I'm, when I'm being a little smart alecky and people say, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I can increase your net profitability by 756%, (laughs)
1: which which, instantly begs the question, what do you do?
0: (laughs) It's actually so audacious that it's like, oh boy, here we go. You got a, you know, uh, MLM, you know, what are you going to try to sell me? Right. Weird. And it's so unbelievable that there could be something that that would have that kind of impact. And yet when you look at companies like Mm WD-40, WD-40 interviewed him for the association and they went from, I think it was... 90 oh, I forgot my numbers now but it was a really small number and it was like a 30 time multiplier when wow. they started focusing on their culture now they're global they're worldwide they've seen this huge I think they went from I know what it was they went from 250 million dollar valuation to like now a 2.67 billion dollar valuation wow and they've just done some really unique things. And this is WD forty. This is not a you know not a sexy business. We yeah. know we know places like the Ritz Carlton have a great culture, but so does In and Out
1: Burger. Right. You know we we know them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And it shows
1: up on their balance sheet. Mm-hmm. So, in your experience in in meeting with these companies and seeing the impact that culture has, where do you find that most companies? what's the common mistake? Like, is it just one thing? Is it multiple things that they're doing wrong to create a bad culture or even not have a culture? What's the most common mistake that companies are making to affect their culture in a negative way?
0: That's a great question, Evan. And I get asked a lot, look, is it the employees, you know, employees suck. 85% of people around the world are just don't have a good work ethic. You know, is it this new generation? Is it this? Is it that? Right. Or is it leadership? It's got to be leadership, you know, because if, you know, starts at the top and, you know, the old Canterbury tales, if the gold rusts, what will the iron do? So it's got to be leadership. And we can point fingers either direction, but it finally dawned on me that I don't think it's either one. I think it's the paradigm we have of work. Hmm. So years ago with industrialization, you know, people used to work for themselves. They farmed, they got up and and went and planted the crops when that had to happen. They fed the chickens at, you know, four in the morning. It was kind of 18 hour days and then some more, much more casual days as you're waiting on the crops to come in. Mm -hmm. When we moved into factories Workday schedules, you know, you got to be here from 12 to 12 kind of thing. We basically reduced work down to one thing. Here's the deal, Evan. I'm going to give you a job. You're going to do some work and I'm going to give you some money for it. Mm. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's our deal. It is pay to play, right? You, it's an
1: exchange for time. Exchange for, for time,
0: right? Yep. And when we did that, we forgot that work is supposed to be about being a part of something bigger Work is supposed to be about- Fulfillment. Fulfillment, you know? Mm -hmm. I say that, I love alliteration, but every employee needs to be growing, growing, and glowing. If they don't see a path forward for them in their career, at some level, then they're not going anywhere. And they start to look around and go, hmm, you know, what difference does it make? There's not a lot of opportunity here. Right. You know, contrast that with Nikki locally, who's from Thailand, who owns Mint. And she's had people start at just, you know, dishwashing who went on to own their own stores or went on to manage their own stores wow. because she created opportunities for them to go somewhere and she helped them grow. So the, the growing part, it's not just about the job opportunity or advancement or all of that. You know, I ask leaders sometimes, would your employees say that in their time of working here, because of working here, they're smarter, better, mm-hmm. faster, better individuals? Have they grown in some ways? Have they, have they developed in their intellect or their skill set? And then the glowing, if if you're doing something you don't want to be doing, it's reflected pretty easily. You can right. walk down the hallway and see the,
1: the zombies, as <laughs> I call them. Just, uh, they're like, not enjoying what they're doing. Is it five o'clock? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I, so uh, the one company in particular that I worked for, a huge company years ago, at 4.58 PM, everybody was already packed up and just waiting to get out the door. Yeah. And I always found that so interesting because, you know, I don't think that's a representation of a lack of effort from the people. Right. It's just nobody really had a purpose there.
0: Yeah. And I do think that some of our, the five-hour workday, the eight-hour workday, it's not necessarily consistent with how people function and work anyway. Hmm. So I know this because I work for myself, mm-hmm. and there are days when I pop out of bed at four thirty in the morning and have this great idea and go work on a book for two hours or mm-hmm. write out a contract or a proposal. Or, but there are also times when one o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday, I say I'm going to go to the movies. You know, my wife and I go to the movie. Right. So we work as we're inspired to do, and I would venture to say, because the studies have shown that people who work from home work much more on an average basis than people who go into the office. Mm-hmm. And when you've got that that discretionary, hey, how do you want to structure this? I've talked to countless Uber drivers, heard the same story, same, same song and dance. Oh, I was in corporate America. I hated it. I wanted to be my own boss. Okay, great. Awesome. What time did you start driving this morning? 4.30 because yeah, they want it in the morning because they wanted to, you know, hit the hit the airport runs. Nobody, mm-hmm. man, if their job previously had said you need to be here at 430 in the morning. They say, would like, never take the no job away, but it's because it wasn't a partnership. There was no, Interesting. I'm going to do the work and then you're going to give me some money. Hmm. Work invaded home a long time ago. Every time I ask a group, raise your hand if you answer emails on the weekend or at night or expected to 50% of Americans say that they're going to be working over their vacation in some capacity, either responding to messages or things. But if I need to go to my kid's soccer game at three on a Friday, what are you kidding me? That's work hours. You can't do that. Hmm. So I think the whole, as I said, the whole paradigm is just kind of jacked up and we've got to think about work different, not to mention the fact that the amount of, that an average worker can produce now, mm. with the tools that we have, right, you can get so much, done. so much done in a short period of time versus when it used to take a lot longer mm-hmm. because we didn't have that. You know, you had to hand write out the email, the letter, right? And you had to, you know, physically do the numbers on paper and all of that. So the tools have made us better and faster. We just haven't adjusted to
1: it. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So, you know, I want to get into some, some practical points uh, for people that are are starting a business right now or have a business that may have a, a poor culture for somebody starting out in a company that's, that's just building their company and trying to grow it. What are a few things, maybe three things that they can be doing with their staff to be cultivating an excellent company culture? So the,
0: the first thing you have to do is get people involved. If you have built a low trust environment, people are, or somebody else maybe before you has built a, a low trust environment, which Alan Mulally experienced at Ford when he came in to turn that company around, it took him weeks and weeks to gain the trust of people to say, oh, he's serious. Hmm. You know, we really are going to not have a culture of fear. So you, you've got to get people's trust, and the best way to do that is with transparency. And if you've run it in a different way, it's okay to say, hey, I want to say I'm sorry to everybody in this company because I feel like I've created XYZ kind of environment, and I'm the first to own that, and I want to change that, but I can't do it without you, and I want us to do this together. Hmm. So moving forward, what I'd like to for us to talk about – and then you start listening, not just talking to people, but listening. Mm. Evan, I'm blown away when I go into to work with a company. I had a guy call me recently and say, hey, Darren, something's not right. Can you come check it out? So I came in, did interviews with the senior leadership and the team. And I walked away from that, called him on the phone and said, hey, not only do I know what your problem is, but I know exactly how to fix it. And he was like, really? And all that came out of, eight, 10, 30-minute conversations of just everybody pointing kind of the same directions and mm-hmm. saying, well, here's the real deal. People want the company to be successful. They want to be successful. Mm. They want to have a great time at work. And they'll talk to you and tell you what's what's broken. The big challenge there as a leader is you can't get defensive or say, well, that's not really the way it is or that's not true. Right. Right. And then you you start from just an evaluating everything. What if we did our company from scratch today? What would we want it to look like? And if you think about culture, people, you know, there's all sorts of definitions out there, and I'm going to slaughter my own. But basically, if you think about the, the thoughts, behaviors, and actions of people right? Mm -hmm. The thoughts, behaviors of actions. What are people actually talking about? What are they thinking? What kind of language are they using? How are they behaving at work? And that the environment that that then is born from. Hmm. So for example, all of those results are trailing indicators, not leading indicators. Culture is a leading indicator. Your culture produces the results. So for example, in a sales setting, if your sales have gone down, well, you probably didn't do what you did last month. Hmm. You didn't make the same amount of calls. You didn't, because you know when you make this many calls, it's going to track pretty evenly on these kind of results. Right. So if people aren't speaking up in meetings, what does that mean? Well, these people they just don't want to speak up. They don't want to be engaged. You know, they need to get on board. No, it means that you've created an environment where people don't want to speak up in mm-hmm. meetings. They don't uh, want to they don't want to talk during the meetings. Yeah. If people don't trust management, why why is that? Because management has not Prove themselves to be trustworthy, right? you know? So look at the results you're getting and that's a complete direct reflection of the culture that you've built. You want mm-hmm. different results?
1: You got to do different things to get those results. Right. So before all of this coronavirus happened, you know, I kept seeing people doing company outings like axe throwing was a big thing or yeah. top golf. Do things like that work? Do taking your team out and doing a top golf Night or things like that. Do people want to do that? If it's lipstick on a pig, then no, it doesn't work. If it's an overflow of that, we all
0: love spending time together and getting along, that's different. So, Google in the early days used to have these epic knockdown, drag out, screaming, yelling hockey games in the parking lot, right? Larry Page is out there, and they're just, you know, this is a bunch of scrappers trying to get Google going. Hmm. And it was part of their DNA, and it was great. When you do a mandatory Top Golf event on Saturday, your only day off, hmm. that's when it starts to get a little oppressive to people. They don't want to do, by the way, I do think a great indication is do people come to the Christmas party? Hmm. I was at a company once where their numbers were horrific and all the management would show up, almost none of the hourly. Wow. And the point was, well, blah, blah, blah. No, the point is hourly doesn't want to come to the crappy Christmas, Christmas party, party. Yet for the crappy company that they feel like they work for. So it's a great point. Yeah. I love stuff like that, but Hey, why not do what Lockton here locally does? Bruce Sammons, dear friend of mine, CEO. I remember when I was doing some work with them and showed up and it was during the fair and we all knocked off at 11 o'clock and the big buses came around. We you know, shut down the office. We got on the buses. We got off the buses. They hand us a big paperclip thing of coupons or right. whatever. Go eat mm-hmm. and play some games, have fun. You know, an hour later, I'm standing there with a CEO and some other people, and we're having a beer. And I thought, oh, my goodness, man, I love this yeah. company. How powerful. Oh, it was huge. Mm-hmm. You know, I know a company that takes all thousand employees, and they go do a big blowout event every year. And it costs them absurd amount of money. Right. They started it when they had a hundred people you know, and the price tag just keeps <laughs> going, up. going up, but they wouldn't quit doing it because they know that the dividends it pays in, in engagement and investment and people love being part of the company. It's so huge. that stuff, as long as it's a part of the DNA is great. If you're doing it as a makeup, you know, or a mandatory, you will, it's like when in a family, that. And dad says, okay, now we're going to get together and we're going to play board games and you will have
1: fun, you
0: know? Right, nobody wants to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it has the like, adverse effect.
1: Right, exactly. Okay, so those things are, are impactful only if, if you have a good environment to begin with. Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. So what are some other things that managers can be doing to cultivate great culture in their company? Look for rewards
0: that are not just monetary, but that kind of go above and beyond, and make people feel valued. Now, this is monetary, but I, I love this idea. You know, I talk about vacation a lot. A lot of times the hallway conversation, well, I'm not going to be here next week. Why not? Well, I'm going on vacation. Oh, I wish I could take vacation. Mm-hmm. Oh, that must be nice, right? It ought to be celebrated by the company. The manager ought to meet him on the way out the door and say, hey, you know what? So help me. If I see you respond to an email or do something this is about you and your family. You go take this time. Unless it's an absolute emergency, we're not going to bother you. And I don't want to see you, you know, staying logged in. Oh, and here's a little envelope. Let us buy dinner for your family tonight, right? Y'all this is so great. First dinner's on us and it could be a pizza budget or it could be, you know, a steakhouse budget depending on the company and you know, the finances. But how much goodwill would that would that give? Yeah. Look for ways to reward the family. I was mm. talking about outings. DL Rogers owns 200 and I don't know what the number is 237 Sonics, but he does a big thing for his managers every year and their families. Hmm. so the the spouses come the children come they have bouncy houses and you know it's a little bit i was doing a, a keynote for it there's a little bit of that but for the most part it's just hey we're family we're going to get together and have a great time right and those kinds of things make a big difference just rewarding somebody with a job well done that's more involved than just hey great job but hey evan you know one thing i really value about you i saw you in that meeting and i think you've got a wonderful skill at XYZ. Hmm. Just tell them people what you appreciate, what you value about them. Think about any relationship, right? Uh, Dating relationship. Hmm. If you basically ignore the other person and it's purely transactional and there's no kind of nurturing and caring and doing things for the other person, then at some point it just gets stale and it's like, "Why, why am I doing this? And people go, Pick new partners all the time yeah. because things just got either boring or it got just flat out, you know, not what I'm looking for. Hmm. And relationships have to be nurtured. And if
1: work is anything, it's a it's a relationship. relationship. Yeah. So many great points. I wanna ask you about the power of scoreboarding. You know, in BizOwners Ed this year we talked a lot about keeping people accountable in some way, shape or form and and being able to show, hey, here are the leaders of the group or here are the people that are maybe lacking or, or things like that. Is that an important thing to be doing for a company culture to say, hey, here's what needs improvement. Here's what needs this or here's this person's doing great. Maybe that's kind of what you just said, but does that play into a good culture? 100 percent. It is our company
0: and you want as full of transparency. I mean, there may be some rare exceptions to that, but Hey, here's how we did for the quarter. Here's how we did for the month, right? Hmm. There's a very, very small company. I'm joking. A very large multi-billion dollar company called Paycom. I don't know if you, are you familiar? Familiar. (laughs) Okay. Familiar. (laughs) And I loved when I went over there to interview the co-founder and Basically, they were showing me the running boards. I mean, they've got visibility. They know this sales team knows kind of what's happening, how much business have we closed. Try playing a game with no scorekeeping. I mean, there's sometimes good reason to do that, but people want... Such a great point. Yeah, it's gamification. They want to win. I want to be the top name on that pinball machine. I'm dating myself now, but Yeah. But I, like when I mentioned I worked for an oil and gas company, they had refineries. The refinery, their top, one of their top money makers would be shut down for the week. And the people back at the home office in HR and accounting had no idea. They didn't know that, you know, that is a disconnected siloed organization versus a body where if the foot's hurting, the whole body is aware of it. Right. And if, you know... The mouth eats something tasty. The whole body gets to relish in it. Right. Companies need to let people know what's the status,
1: what's going on, because people get more active and involved when they do know that stuff. So, you know, one of the things that I know Paycom does is, especially with their developers, their IT people, they have, you know, two different boards, two different basically screens. And the first one is the top 50 developers. And the second one is the bottom 50 developers. Right. And you don't want to be on the bottom 50. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting because everybody loves it. They yeah. love seeing those names out there because nobody wants to be on the bottom. Everybody wants to be on the top on the first screen.
0: Yeah, and they compete and they work harder. And they, you know, it's an it's a issue of pride. I think every company should be much more transparent about what's really going yeah. on, the good times and the bad times. Because right. what you find when you're transparent about the good times, then when you're transparent about the bad times, people roll up their sleeves. They say, yeah. hey, look, I'll give this up to get us back where we
1: need to be. Right. You know, during this time of quarantine and coronavirus, everybody's gone virtual. And one of the things that I've been thinking about is, is this a sustainable way to run a business? Can businesses be run with a thriving company culture virtually? Can we do this through Zoom forever? What are your thoughts on that? I think in
0: most cases,
1: the answer is we can. We've been
0: very averse. It's, it's called what I call old manism, right? That people won't work from home. I did a radio interview during this time. And, the, you know, the question the guy framed up and said was, how can we be sure people are working if they're working from home and the boss is not around? <laughs> <laughs> Your question is the problem, right? right. The, mm. the assumptions that are rich in that question are the problem. And, you know, conversely, a Stanford deep study that showed that people work harder, they give more discretionary. Hmm. And there are people who have been working with virtual teams for a long time. I had a buddy who had a company and he had his designer in Italy and his, you know, whatever, in different places. They were some of the closest you can imagine they would mm. get on those calls and check on each other.
1: Right. I know a lot of your teams the same way too. Yeah. You have a lot of virtual employees.
0: Hey, Lena is our design person that does phenomenal work. She's from the Ukraine. She lives in Mexico. I have never met her, but Lena is just as much a part of the fabric of our company. And it's not all business. Hey, I hope you're having a fantastic Saturday. Oh my goodness. You blew it out of the you know ballpark. And we do some video calls at times, but yeah, you can be connected with somebody without being in the office with them every day, and the tools are going to make that greater and greater. When you can have holographic meetings with people, right? Have, it's more about the tone and the
1: spirit of it than necessarily that it is face to face, right? Well, and you know, I asked because one of the things that I've heard is, you know, like you said, with all these companies recognizing that many times their performance numbers are going up during this time of being virtual. They're looking around going, why are we paying for all this real estate every month? You know, I mean, and their numbers are the same or maybe even better than ever. So I've just, I've been curious if, if a lot of companies are gonna go, well, heck with it. We'll just go virtual from here on out. You know, I asked a buddy of mine who uh, does commercial real estate. I said,
0: eh, you a little worried? <laughs> and he said, they're seeing both. They're seeing some people take more office space, spread people out more. Interesting. But they're also seeing some people going, Hey, this working from home thing is, is not too shabby. I think if there's a silver lining to the coronavirus and this whole thing, it is that it has forced the, what I call evolution at work that has needed to take place, hmm. what the whole Global Company Culture Association- is I have the wristband around. on. I was just going to say- I, I have it that, on. I love that you're wearing the the global, <laughs> the GCCA wristband that says evolutionary- Evolutionary. In, in big letters. Yep. Because, uh, you know, what if 85, 90, 95% of people loved their job, loved their work, loved what they were doing?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We'd be so much more prosperous. We'd be so much happier. We would be in a much, much better place- And it's good for everybody. So, yeah, viva la evolution. Let's make this thing work. And what's happened is coronavirus has forced business. First of all, businesses that were on life support, largely because of culture and largely because of low engagement, they're not going to survive. They're just not going to make it through. The ones that were already getting it and thriving, this was just a speed bump for them because they were already comfortable with people Setting hours, you know, working from home, doing different things. They, right. As I said, they hired owners and then treated them like owners, mm-hmm. you know. But the middle ones that were on the fence of, oh, I don't know. I don't know if we should try this or not. Hey, their hand's been forced and hopefully they will have eyes to see right. and recognize that, hey,
1: this is a real option in the new world right. for us to operate. To utilize. Way. Yeah. I love that. So I want to talk just a couple kind of rapid fire the last few minutes that we have in the personal realm, in somebody's personal life. You know, what can people be doing with a spouse, their kids, you know, their family to be hosting a consistent culture of happiness in their own home? Wow, boy, that just took a, a, a sharp turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The principles are
0: absolutely 100% the same. If people in the family, I would say, are not going, I don't see that the family's helping me in some way move forward, growing, you know, I feel better, smarter, bigger, you know, from being a part of this family and glowing, we're not having a good time together, then they're going to be disinvested from that. I had a friend of mine, I got married, remarried three and a half years ago and a disgruntled female friend of mine, (laughs) let's just say, said, well, you know, good luck because all the studies show that when you get married, then three years later, it's, you know, it's no good. Right. And I looked at her and I said, you know why that is? And she said, no. And I said, because people stopped doing what they did that made them feel in love in the first place. Hmm. They started just mailing it in. They started just kind of coasting Hmm. And I would tell you, and Elise and I work together, we play together, we travel together, we do everything together, right? People say, How do you do that? Well, you know, part of the way we do it is we just enjoy spending time with each other. But I daily have to remind myself, nope, don't slack off there. Nope, nope, nope. That's not the way you would have done it. Hmm. Keep doing what you're doing if you want to get the same results. Right. So
1: that investment's huge. That's great. Because the a lot of times the default after a certain period of time, whether it's with a spouse or your family is to kind of, like you said, mail it in and coast a little bit. Right, yep. And so consistently reminding yourself to to not do that plays out huge in the long run. 100%. And, you know, I'd give everybody listening a challenge
0: to think about a spouse or a child or a parent, okay? And just go plan it purposefully and just go out of your way to say, hey, I don't think I've told you in a while how much I appreciate you. Hmm. And I appreciate you for these reasons. Boom, 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 boom. And I am so glad and honored to be connected with you and to be a part of this family or to have you as my dad or my mom or my brother. Wow. Watch what happens when you give that kind of enforcement. And then you realize, you know, at a company or in a family, why is that one day a
1: year kind of event?
0: Right. You know, why do we have Thanksgiving one day a year? One day a year.
1: Yeah. You know, the common theme And what we've been talking about, you know, in your personal life and also in your, in your company is outward appreciation Mm. an outward gratitude Mm. is really what sounds like is so key. Yeah, absolutely. And that's sort of the, the
0: magnum opus I think of any relationship is when people feel appreciated and that, that
1: gratitude's part of it. Mm. I love that. You know, so again, kind of taking a sharp turn here, just a couple of rapid fire things. You're an incredibly intelligent and complex guy, I think. You you. you have you have a lot to you in a good way. (laughs) Thank you. What's something that most people don't know about you? That's that's an important part of who you are. Wow, I'm a 30 year overnight
0: success. Hmm. I always say people want to have what you have, but they don't necessarily want to do what you did. Hmm. And I've been through it, brother. I've been through that. I mean, you know, I went through a messy divorce and a blow up kind of life, and you know, I've started over so many times in in my life, but every time I have, I can look back now and know that I've leveled up in some way, that even though it was was rough at the time, that I have made a concerted effort. I think people probably don't realize how much I invest in myself Hmm. through reading, through going to things that I think are going to bring me value, through constantly learning new things challenging all my assumptions i'm a fundamentally different person today than i was 10 years ago Hmm. and i wouldn't trade back to that guy for anything but that's
1: been a journey right yeah that's great what's one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received wow these
0: (laughs) first ones that come to mind but they're so trite they're so but there's a reason for them right readers are leaders And not everybody reads, by the way. There are people dyslexic. Reading's a challenge to them. So do Audible books. Since I started writing my short, pithy little books, I don't like reading 500-page business books. (laughs) If it's one, you know, like Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, I'll do it on Audible. Right. So when I say that, you can also watch YouTube. There's a lot of different ways to learn. Hmm. But don't be a know-it-all. Be a learn-it-all, I heard somebody say. Hmm. It may have been at y'all's deal, right? Yeah. But um constantly be learning. And the other one is that it really is about the way you invest in other people and the way you make other people feel. I spent a big chunk of my life pointing to me, look how smart I am. Look how blah, blah, blah. Mm. And when I got knocked down a bunch of pegs mm-hmm. and started figuring out, wait a minute, <laughs> that's not the deal. Right. And it's about being able to give back to somebody else that advances them in some way. Mm. That's the old Zig Ziglar. If you want to have
1: everything, then help other people get what they want. Get what want. they want, right. Yeah. If you want everything that you want, help help a lot of people get yeah. what they want. Yeah, that's so great. I love that. So you talk a lot about reading. I love reading. I love consuming content. What are some of your favorite book recommendations for listeners out there? <sighs>
0: man, man, man. From a culture standpoint, I love Stan Slap's work. I love the guy who turned around IBM. I'm blanking on his name. I quote him all the time. The Who Says Elephants Can't Dance? Okay. There's a lot of great stuff out there. A lot of Daniel Coyle's stuff, The Culture Code, The Talent Code. I like a lot just eye-opener of books like Blink, hmm. books like I said, Thinking Fast and Slow. I think David Cialdini is, is an absolute zen master at, being able to use words and things in a way that help position you for success. Mm. I love Tony Robbins, although I've never read a Tony Robbins book, I don't think, (laughs) all the way through. (laughs) Uh, I tend to do that more on Audible. I like all the old classics, you know, Think and Grow Rich. Of course, a classic, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. These days, I'm into a lot more like Alan Watts and some deep thinkers from a more of a, a spiritual standpoint. Hmm. I really like a brief history of everything by Ken Wilber and a lot of his other stuff. So I've started to explore and, and get out into some other areas, but I try to read such a diversity of information. And then when hmm. I get on a thread, I like I'll follow that till the it. end till, you know, I asked my buddy if he he was a big Neil Young fan. And I said, Hey, did you buy Neil Young's latest album. And this is what 42 albums in. And he said, no, you know, I think Neil Young has said everything he has to say to me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He's had enough. You know, if if, if I'm feeling like, well, I'm reading the whole book, but I'm getting 25% of the value from when I read the first book of this person, then, you know, I
1: start to, I start to venture out. Interesting. Okay. I love that. And so where can people find you? Where can we find your association? Where can we find you, your book? Okay. Awesome.
0: So If you spell my first name right, as it should be spelled with one R and an E, -E (laughs) D-A-R-E-N, Martin, that one's easy to spell, then not to sound obnoxious, but because my parents spelled my name with one R and an E, I I own like the first four pages of Google, so if- if, Okay, great. I'm easy to find that way. There's DarrenMartin.com. All the books are available on- Amazon and then every every major website, uh, Target, Walmart, you know, Barnes and Noble, whatever. You may not find them in the bookstore, but and because it's that's hard to find many books in the bookstore these days. But you'll definitely find them online okay. and available for the most part, different parts of the world. And then the Global Company Culture Association is a mouthful. I know that, <laughs> and the website is actually <laughs> globalcompanycultureassociation.com. Culture okay, <laughs> but. It's a great organization that we are looking to build in the coming year or two. We've kind of got thrown off track with some things, but we've got some very impressive people in there, some senior people from Google, Microsoft, and and it's meant to start the conversation and membership is free. Okay. Wow. Okay. Complimentary. So you can join the Global Company Culture Association for free. for free. Why would you not want to be a part of it? Mm-hmm. Got some great interviews on there with different thought leaders.
1: Okay, great. Well, Darren, you're such an inspiring guy. You're an inspiring guy. Well, thank you. I so enjoy when we're together and the time that we get to spend and and chat. And so, cannot thank you enough for for doing this today and taking the time and just giving us your knowledge. So appreciated.
0: Dude, you're, you know, there's a fairly small list, but you're one of those people like, hey, I need XYZ or can we do... If the call's coming in, I'm going to pick up the phone unless I just can't. So it's it's mutual
1: appreciation here. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, and we'll see you soon. This is
0: the Evan York Podcast.